Hello and welcome back to Interpreting India. The beginning of 2021 was defined by a deadly second wave of coronavirus, precarious geopolitical relations, a contracting economy, and a rapidly evolving technological landscape. This season, we at Carnegie India are examining many of the challenges and opportunities that India will confront in the coming decade. I'm your host, Deep Pal, and this week, we are diving deep into major foreign policy events that occurred over the last few weeks and what they mean for India. The last month has been momentous for world politics with the conclusion of the first in-person Ford Leaders Summit, the 76th session of the United Nations General Assembly, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization Summit, and the AUKUS Alliance, among other events. An important point of discussion has been Afghanistan, where the international community remains divided about how to engage the Taliban. On the other hand, the increased importance the United States has attached to the Indo-Pacific after its withdrawal from Afghanistan has led to the formation of the AUKUS Alliance, as well as the Quad Summit. In this episode of Interpreting India, we analyze these major foreign policy events, India's contribution to them, and its role going forward. How will the events of last week determine the international community's response to the Taliban? And finally, what significance do these events hold for the future of Indian foreign policy? Joining us today for this discussion is Ambassador Gautam Bambawale. Ambassador Gautam Bambawale has worked in the Indian Foreign Service for 34 years between 1984 and 2018. During his career, he has been India's ambassador to Bhutan, Pakistan, and China. He was stationed in Washington, D.C. during the Indo-U.S. nuclear deal. At the Ministry of External Affairs, he was Joint Secretary for East Asia from 2009 to 2014. He has had 17 years of experience dealing with China in various capacities. Ambassador Bambawale is currently Distinguished Professor, Faculty of Humanities and Social Sciences at the Symbiosis International University in Pune. Ambassador Bambawale, welcome to Interpreting India. Let's start with a background. I mean, we have seen a flurry of diplomatic activity in the last few days. It started with the meeting of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. It ended with the UN General Assembly. We still have the UN Climate Change Conference and the G20 meetings coming up later. But insofar as what we have hap seen happen so far, what would you say are the most important meetings that we have seen, both from India's perspective and as well as the mark that they will live on the times we live in. Deep, first of all, let me say I'm delighted to be with you on this podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Second, if you permit me, I'd like to start with a little bit of a longer sort of background. You know, the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic or the Wuhan pandemic, as some people call it, and I prefer to call it that too, is a major event in uh, international affairs because it has impacted every country across the globe. And this has led to a great churning, not only in geoeconomics, but also in geopolitics. And it is this churning that we have uh, been witness to the last few days or the last few weeks, if you want to, including, of course, the withdrawal of the United States from Afghanistan. Uh, coming to the meetings which took place in the United States in the last few days for which our Prime Minister, Prime Minister Modi visited that country, both New York as well as uh, Washington, D.C., I think the most important of the meetings was, of course, the first in-person meeting of the Quad or the Quadrilateral Initiative, whatever it, whatever you'd like to call it. I think this was important because here are four democracies from across the Indo-Pacific getting together 
to achieve certain objectives. And I think that were, those objectives have been brought out very clearly in the um, in, in the documents which have come out of that quadrilateral meeting, including an important thing such as uh, vaccine maitri, as we in India call it, that is prov provision of vaccines to various countries uh, in uh, supply chain uh, reliability and resilience, uh, including in chip manufacturing and so on and so forth, cybersecurity, etc. But I'll leave that to you to ask and uh, let me stop at this point of time. Right. I mean, it's it's very interesting that you started with uh, putting the quad as the highlight of these meetings because uh, something, another curious development, in fact, that, that happened just before the quad meetings was the AUKUS, which involves the UK and is very different from what we have seen uh, as the focus of the of the quad countries, of quad meetings. Now, at first glance, such an agreement seems to make sense because India, unlike others, is not a treaty partner of the US. At the same time, we have heard uh, some commentary and, and a lot of uh, talk about some being concerned about what this might mean for India's involvement with these powers that are moving ahead, uh, both in the Quad, but also separately outside of the Quad overall in the Indo-Pacific. What are your thoughts on whether it hinders or it bolsters the efforts to create an alternative uh, to Chinese influence in the region? That's a very interesting question, Deep, and thank you for asking that. And as you highlighted and pointed out, there have been any number of Indian observers, commentators, writers, authors uh, who have questioned AUKUS vis-a-vis -vis the Quad. Uh, and some of them have even go, gone so far as to say that it undermines the Quad. In my opinion, it is exactly the reverse. And my reasoning and logic for that argument is as follows. It is India which is averse to having any kind of alliance with other countries, including with the Quad countries. It is India which has always stated that the Quad is not and is not likely to be a military alliance. The Quad is a grouping, in our opinion, of four separate democracies from across the Indo-Pacific, and they aim at achieving certain objectives which have, again, as I said earlier, been highlighted in the documents which came out from the quadrilateral meeting in Washington, D.C. And these are very, very uh, noble objectives. They're very broad-based objectives, and uh, a lot of work will be required to achieve those objectives. Therefore, in my opinion, AUKUS is not something which undermines the Quad. AUKUS is a grouping of existing allies, which is, the, uh, which is Australia, the U.K., and the U.S., getting together for a specific purpose. And therefore, I believe that AUKUS is something which complements the Quad or is complementary with the Quad. There are two things, two developments which run parallel to each other and in fact complement each other. And uh, even though the Quad is not a military alliance, the Quad countries do undertake military activities together. I, I think, uh, therefore, I come to the conclusion that AUKUS is not something which undermines the Quad, but is it actually supplements or complements the Quad. Mm -hmm. Let's let's take that a little uh, forward then, and and let us let us into your thoughts about how this modifies or what what should going forward, India's um, behavior or role or approach be in the Indo-Pacific 
in a in a post AUKUS world. Uh, for one, for example, we know France has obviously not been happy with this entire development. It it took a call from President Biden to the French president to finally have the ambassador, uh, you know, to come back to Washington D.C. The French ambassador come back to Washington D.C. who had been recalled. So, do you see India playing a role through maybe the you know France Australia India trilateral that India has had a great deal of stake on has been uh, very bullish towards do you see India acting there or generally uh, in in this in these various uh, uh, platforms that we are seeing operate how does this modify how India operates uh, you know the, where the quad itself is concerned deep what I think is that the other three countries the other three nations which are involved in the quad namely the United States, Japan, and Australia, they're all treaty partners or treaty allies with each other. And therefore, the new element in the Quad is India. Um, and therefore, India has been doing things over the past few years, uh, which uh, help to complement the work of the other democracies in this part of the world. And I feel that we should continue doing that whether it is in the area of maritime security, where we are paying so much importance that we, even as the chair of the UN Security Council for the month of August, we focused on this subject laser sharp and uh, got all the members of the UN Security Council to discuss it. So we need to continue doing things like this, uh, including uh, the vaccine Maitri program, which is now, you know, the export of vaccines from India is now resuming, as uh, Prime Minister Modi uh, declared in his UN speech, as well as in Washington, D.C. Uh, so we need to continue doing these things, which will help the common good. And here I would just like to point out that you know, India's approach to foreign policy is slightly different from other nations and other nation states. While we do promote our own national interests, we also believe that the world is one family and therefore it is important to assist others within our capabilities and capacities in order to um, increase our own welfare and our and to protect our own interests. Uh, this has come out very beautifully in the book that um, our external affairs minister, Dr. Jaishankar, has written recently and which has become so popular across the world. So I think all these elements are things which we will continue to promote or continue to do uh, in the coming years and coming months. To take your specific question about France, France is a very, very important partner for India. France has a, a stake in the Indo-Pacific. They are a presence in the Indo-Pacific. And therefore, I believe that India will continue to work with France, just as we work with the Quad countries uh, in ensuring that a rules-based order uh, will prevail in the Indo-Pacific. Right, right. If you can go back a a couple of weeks before the Quad meeting, uh, the Prime Minister uh, participated in uh, the Shanghai Co uh, Cooperation Organization meeting via video conference. Now, we also have a continuing strategic partnership with Russia. But globally, we are seeing these lines being drawn, you know, uh, these lines in the sand, they're being drawn very hard, right? On one end, you have, if you, if you will, Russia, China. And on the other side, you have the Quad countries, many Western democracies, and so on. So given this, how difficult do you think the balancing act is going to be? I mean, for example, uh, ahead of the US-India meetings, there was a lot of buzz about, there was a lot of talk about the S-400 issue, right? India is supposed to be getting delivery of them by the end of 2021, and, and that might force uh, the United States' hand 
in, in bringing about CATSA sanctions. And that is, that is obviously an issue that the two countries are talking about and trying to find a way around. You have asked a very pertinent question, Deep, and a very uh, you know precise question. Uh, I think this is going to be and continues to be a bit of a challenge for Indian diplomacy, for Indian foreign policy, which is uh, we have a very, very strong relationship with Russia, and we need to maintain and, in fact, expand that relationship with Russia, this uh, strategic partnership with Russia. In order to do so, we need to go beyond the government-to-government interaction, which is already deep and broad between our two countries. We need to expand this to business, of course, to have greater trade and investment flows between our two countries. And this is something which the government of India is well aware of. This is why Prime Minister Modi and other ministers of our, uh, from our government uh, are constantly participating in the Vlad- Vladivostok Forum, uh, which helps to promote trade and investment uh, with that part of Russia. Uh, And we also need to continue to expand people-to-people ties. And it is only when we uh, are successful at at giving uh, greater resilience, to giving greater uh, breadth and depth to uh, business as well as people-to-people ties that India-Russia relations will then begin to really soar, just like India Uh, United States relations are doing at the present. So this is, uh, of course, a a tight uh, walk on a a rope, on a string, as you have rightly uh, pointed out and described. Uh, But I think India needs to do this. I think Indian diplomacy has the capabilities and the capacities to do this. We need to work on the Russia partnership, on the Russia strategic relationship, uh, and we need to keep Russia on our side of things, even as we continue to build our relations with the other democracies of the world, like the US, Japan, Australia, France, the UK, etc. Uh, it is a tightrope walk. There's no doubt about that. But I believe that uh, we have the abilities and the capabilities to do this successfully. And we will see that in the coming months and coming years. You know, if I can take one 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 part of your comment where you say that you know it's going to be a tightrope walk, uh, how do you how do you see India walking that tightrope walk? Because uh, 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 positions have hardened from where they were even a few years ago. And I mean, I will eventually come to Afghanistan, but uh, developments like Afghanistan and and uh, the assertive that assertiveness that we see from China and various other issues, coronavirus is something you mentioned. These these are making more and more difficult or or trickier for a country like India to to uh, be on 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 both sides and maintain the relationships that it has nurtured over years with with these various players. You you are right. You're not wrong. You're absolutely right there. And therefore, it is a challenge, as I said earlier. Uh, But I I believe that if we give greater ballast to the India-Russia relationship in terms of business, and uh, there the government will have to step in and ensure that Indian businesses uh, look at Russia, the Russian government will have to step in and ensure that doing business with Russia is uh, safer, easier, um, uh, and there are adequate returns in, in, in carrying out such business. Uh, but we need to uh, provide further ballast to this India-Russia relationship. It cannot remain just a government-to-government relationship, even if that entails um, you know, cooperation in areas like nuclear energy, space, uh, and other areas, of course, uh, defense. Uh, 
but we need to go beyond that in order to provide ballast to this relationship, to provide depth to this relationship. And the way to go is to expand the people to people, the business to business links uh, between our two countries. Uh, it is going to be difficult. I accept that. But I think we need to um, you know, move in the direction that I'm uh, suggesting, which is to move the relationship from a pure government to government kind of relationship to a more people-oriented, a business-oriented relationship. Mm-hmm. Talking about business-oriented relationships, Ambassador Bambawale, now in the previous few conversations that India has had with the United States, uh, more so during the Trump administration, we saw a lot of focus on on trade, which is something that was uh, absent this time, at least to the same degree. Uh, we saw a lot of lot more conversation on uh, strategic issues. Uh, going forward, what would you say? What would you think are the few pillars on which this relationship? Uh, will will stand. I mean, of course, we already have a very wide-ranging relationship, including people-to-people relationships with the United States that you met, that you mentioned. But uh, what, are, what, what do you see as being the focus areas, at least in the short term, in the India-US relationship? No, absolutely. I, I agree with you that there are several uh, pillars of this relationship. The people-to-people uh, relationship or the people-to-people ties are very, very important. The Indo-American community in the United States is very important. Um, uh, There is the political relationship is strong and will continue to remain strong. The defense relationship is going great and will continue to move forward. Uh, You're absolutely right. If there is any kind of weak link in in India-US relations, it's on the trade and investment side. Uh, it's not a weak link. It's it's expanding in, in in scope and strength. We need more trade. We need more investment from uh, amongst our two countries, and we will have to focus on on that aspect as we move ahead. I believe that the two governments are working on some kind of early trade deal, etc. It won't be a full scale FTA or a comprehensive economic um, uh, uh, partnership agreement. Uh, but at least it will have some elements of a, uh, of an early deal of an early free trade agreement. I think that will be very, very important. I think also that this idea of, uh, you know, the STEM scholarships, which has come out of the Quad, um, uh, the quadrilateral meeting in Washington, D.C., is something which is very, very exciting because it will uh, enable uh, people in India, that is young students in the STEM uh, areas in India, to not only um, um, you know participate in U.S. universities and go to universe, U.S. universities for their studies, but will it will also enable them to interact with uh, similar scholars from the other three countries, which is Japan, uh, Australia, and the United States. And that, I think, is a very interesting, very exciting opportunity to me, especially as we move ahead uh, into areas of new and critical technologies. Um, uh, and this will probably help in developing, inventing, innovating such technologies. So uh, these are some of uh, the aspects of India-US ties which are uh, going to be important. The relationship is strong. Uh, but we need to continually work at it in order to make it remain strong. Mm-hmm. Right. But uh, at the same time, you know, there are certain issues on which India and the, India and the United States, uh, we don't really see eye to eye, right? Afghanistan being, a, being one of those, right? Um, India continues to have an abiding security interest in what happens in Afghanistan. 
And uh, if you look at the United States, the the uh, withdrawal, it clearly indicates uh, a different direction, at least for now, that um, the US wants to go in its foreign policy in the region. Now, given this background, um, and, and the fact that counterterrorism continues to be an umbrella that brings India and United States together, uh, what do you see as the future of uh, any kind of cooperation uh, on Afghanistan, the possibility of such cooperation on Afghanistan in, in the coming months and years? Absolutely right, uh, Deep. Um, no two countries can have um, exactly the same interests. There may be some interests which are common, but there may be some interests which are divergent. And that's the case, uh, at least at the present, where Afghanistan is concerned, between India, between Delhi and Washington, between New Delhi and Washington. Um, but at the same time, I would like to say that even the United States, uh, even Washington looks upon this uh, aspect of uh, no basis, no financing, no support for terrorism out of um, Afghanistan as being very, very important. Because uh, if that were to happen, if Afghanistan were to slide into or slip into uh, the previous kind of situation that existed between 1996 and 2001, then not only would India become a target of that kind of uh, international terrorism, but who knows, you know, the United States could also become a target for uh, such international terrorism as happened uh, on 9-11 uh, so many 20 years ago. So I think we have some uh, common interest in ensuring that Afghanistan uh, continues to develop as a, a multi-ethnic society, which is uh, represented in its government by uh, people across uh, the whole of society in Afghanistan, that Afghanistan does not slide back, slip back into the kind of situation that existed uh, between 96 and 2001, and that it continues to make progress. And I, I think that, you know, while uh, today uh, we may not have diametrically uh, identical interests in Afghanistan, that in the coming months and coming years, that there will be an overlapping of common interests between India and the US where Afghanistan is concerned, basically to ensure that there is no resurgence of the kind of situations which led to 9-11 uh, so many years ago. So uh, even though it looks at present as if our interests don't uh, completely, um, you know, don't completely converge, where Afghanistan is concerned, there are elements which will see India and the US working together, even on this subject, which you mentioned. That's that's interesting because, I mean, and I will come back to the question of Afghanistan in a minute, but before that, you know, when we talk about uh, uh, the similar interest that India and the US may have in countering terrorism in the region, the question of Pakistan obviously immediately comes up, right? And uh, I think there are a few people in Washington, D.C. that are not convinced uh, about the role of uh, Pakistan in, in uh, leading Taliban to the place that they are today, their, their advisory role uh, in, in, this, uh, in, in the current administration in Afghanistan, the Taliban are trying to get their hands on. Now, where, where do you see the Pakistan question or Pakistan's role uh, as a sponsor of terror, that, that question coming between India and the U.S.? Obviously, the U.S. has its... Uh, limitations. It, it needs a partner and an ally in the region through which they can hope to exert some kind of control or have some kind of leverage over, over Taliban. We know that hasn't that hasn't uh, really worked very well all the time. But uh, 
surely this is this is something that that the two countries will by two countries i mean india and the united states will try to come uh, closer on but how do they do that there is a lot of uh, heartburn and questioning within the united states itself deep as you know better than i do on this entire question of um, how pakistan has played both sides against the middle and the united states was well aware of it over the past 20 years ever since 2001 uh right up till uh, its withdrawal in a few weeks ago uh the united states was well aware of the role that pakistan was playing uh including giving the taliban uh you know all kinds of support and uh succor and so on uh why they didn't do anything uh, vis-a-vis pakistan is a question that only people who have been in american administrations over these last 20 years can inform us and tell us i um i'm completely surprised that they didn't take action because um you know the situation we have in afghanistan today um uh, you know has occurred because of this particular fact and i i believe the americans should have focused on it laser sharp uh, and should have uh, attended to it uh, but anyway that that's all in the past looking forward and going ahead uh, as far as uh, pakistan is concerned as long as it uh, doesn't um you know if if pakistan can abjure uh, providing support to uh, terrorists and terror groups which are based in pakistan and which uh, aim at uh, india aim at uh, creating terrorist incidents in india uh, will be uh, you know the uh, will be very happy with that uh, of course we don't see that happening uh, immediately but uh, you know we will continue to work on ensuring and uh, and seeing that uh, pakistani terror groups are not able to harm india and india's interests and indians themselves uh, in in the coming weeks and coming months so um, we will uh, continue to take care of ourselves um, you you know that you know the number of terror modules have been indicted and uh, in the last few weeks um and uh, that i think is a good development uh, there has been some uh, action by the indian army uh, on infiltration attempts from across the border they will of course continue we will continue to be on our guard and we need to be uh, on our guard uh, and we will also work with other countries uh, including the united states in countering terrorism and international terrorism so uh, it's it's I, i think it's a subject on which there is convergence even though our interests are not absolutely identical ambassador bamawale if you can go back on the question of afghanistan kind of talk about the un general assembly as well because uh, as expected there was a lot of conversation about the state of affairs in afghanistan the taliban and so on in the unga uh, days before it started we saw the taliban nominating sohel shaheen as the un envoy who has still not been accepted and it's unlikely to happen anytime soon i was curious about your thoughts on how you see the un uh, the role that it can play as a taliban try for legitimacy from world bodies deep i believe that you know the fact that till today uh, and we are at the end of september 2021 it's been several weeks since this interim government of the taliban was announced with the with the individual names etc but till today not a single country has uh, recognized the this as the government of the, uh, of afghanistan as yet um the united nations has not accepted as you rightly said their nominee to be the representative uh, at the un of afghanistan uh, so this shows the deep uh, feeling of unease 
and disquiet that exists all over the world regarding this uh, resurgence of the Taliban uh, as the government uh, in charge of that country. Um, and this is why uh, all many, many, many major countries across the world are insisting on a representative government where representation of minority groups, including women, uh, are included in the government. Uh, uh, so people are going to be careful about how uh, they move ahead with uh, this particular dispensation in Afghanistan. Uh, and I think that is uh, absolutely the right thing to do because I don't believe that the Taliban has reformed or this is a 2.0 or a reformed Taliban, which is in uh, which is in power in Afghanistan. I believe that, you know, their basic uh, ideology continues to remain the same based on the Sharia law. And therefore, I do not see any change in this avatar of the Taliban as compared to that uh, in the period of 1996 to 2001. Uh, during this period, they may have become a little more polished, I believe. So they're, um, you know, playing the uh, this game uh, quite uh, adroitly and carefully, of course, under guidance from, uh, from other parts of uh, the world. Uh, and you know what I mean, uh, but uh, but I think it is absolutely correct for both India as well as other countries and nations across the globe to be circumspect about how we move ahead in Afghanistan and especially in the process of uh, either interacting or recognizing the Taliban government in Afghanistan. That's that's very interesting because you know one of the concerns has also been that while. Uh, countries may shy away from officially uh, recognizing uh, uh, the new regime in Afghanistan. Uh, certain efforts to to have some kind of unofficial recognition uh, from various parties is already underway. And a concern is that you know eventually aid will start trickling in, or or unofficial recognitions will start slowly coming in, and and before you know it, business will be on its way to being as usual uh, with and 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 countries. You know, you make a very interesting point. I'm not saying that either India or other countries, because you should should not interact uh, or have exchanges with the Taliban government in Afghanistan, because they do control the country. Uh, but I think we're recognizing that government is concerned. We need to be, you know, just uh, interacting with them is not uh, the same as recognizing the government. Right, right. Of course, there should be a little bit of circumspection in this whole process of recognizing the government. And uh, as far as interactions with uh, the Taliban are concerned in Afghanistan, I know that you know most countries will keep this to the minimum, at least in the next few months, uh, because uh, you know their immediate interests in Afghanistan are now today quite limited. Uh, and so I make a distinction between interacting or having exchanges with the Taliban and recognizing the Taliban as the government of Afghanistan. No, absolutely. Point taken. But what I was coming at is that, you know, as, as countries begin to interact, uh, not officially recognize, but have start having limited relations with the regime, uh, what are the ways in which uh, they can continue to uh, have leverage over this regime? Especially, uh, and and what role would India could India potentially play in this, considering uh, its position in the UNSC currently as a non-permanent member, uh, uh, and and the fact that what happens in Afghanistan, few countries are as affected as India is with what happens in Afghanistan. 
No, you're absolutely right there, Deep. And particularly, I would like to point to the kind of economic projects that India has done in Afghanistan over the past uh, couple of decades. There have been projects which have uh, helped develop the country. There have been projects which have brought um, the fruits of economic development to large swaths of people in Afghanistan. Uh, we have uh, undertaken many of these small development projects which uh, immediately benefit and have direct benefits uh, to smaller communities in Afghanistan in, in, in different parts of the country. Uh, and I think that there is a good understanding even amongst the Taliban that one of the countries which could actually be relevant in the whole process of economic development and growth and, uh, and social progress also in uh, Afghanistan is India. But, uh, you know, we, we must be very transactional where this is concerned. We should ensure that our interests are uh, completely understood and met by, uh, by the Taliban. And our interests basically are that there should be no terrorism aimed at us from Afghanistan. Uh, that's point number one. And point number two is that, uh, you know, we, our projects, etc., should be safe and uh, we can uh, test the waters by, you know, by resuming a little bit of this project aid that we have had over the past 20 years. Uh, that's far as far as India is concerned. I believe that other countries will also uh, very broadly follow this uh, modus vivendi. I, I believe that most countries across the world will, uh, you know, will first pr provide perhaps humanitarian assistance to Afghanistan and then move to other economic assistance, but they will do it in bits and dribbles so that they're able to pull back uh, in case um, the Afghanistan, in, in case the Taliban uh, do not show that they're a relatively reformed Taliban, or a, uh, let me put it this way, that this kind of reform is uh, forced upon them. Uh, because as I said earlier, I don't believe they have reformed, but it will have to be forced upon them, especially, you know, where things like education for girls is concerned and uh, and the status of women is concerned, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's the way to uh, proceed ahead, Deep. Right. So, Ambassador Mamawale, you have been an observer and a participant in India's foreign policy for the longest time. Now, based on India's policy interventions in these various events that we discussed over the over the last week or a little more, how do you see India approaching the other major multilateral initiatives, meetings that are coming up in the rest of the year? We talked about the climate change conference and the G20. Uh, what is the indication that we get in the direction in which India will want to take the conversation in these platforms? An excellent question, Deep. Um, uh, very, very broad. It will take a long time to answer if I go into every specific aspect. So let me do it at a macro level. But I think, uh, you know, today India is looked upon by the rest of the international community as a very, very responsible player uh, at the global level. So what India thinks, what India does is important. Where climate change is concerned, for example, we are now um, working with other countries. We see this as a major problem. Global warming is real. We have accepted it. We are moving towards, uh, you know, towards um, uh, we, are, we are doing things which will um, uh, help in reducing global warming or at least controlling the rise in global temperatures. So 
the point I'd like to make at a macro level is that India today is a very important country in uh, the global landscape. And we will work on all these subjects, uh, all of them on global issues with other groups of countries uh, to protect and promote not just India's interests, but the interests of mankind as a whole. And there, I think, uh, Deep India uh, plays a very special role because all other nations in the world are laser sharp focused or focused laser sharp on their own uh, national interests. Uh, and promote their own national interests. But India has an approach uh, where, uh, you know, we believe that the world is one family and we all either uh, rise together or sing together. And therefore, this approach is what is required on some of these global, if not all of these global issues. And therefore, India will continue to be an important player and will be a very important player on all these issues in the resolution of these issues as we move ahead. The fact that we are currently over the next year or two now, 2021 is coming to an end, but 2022 also, a member of the UN Security Council will only help us in achieving these uh, goals and objectives. Of course, as I said, along with other important players and members of the international community. So I, I, I see, uh, you know, that India's position in the uh, Committee of Nations actually having gone up several notches over the last few years. Um, I would also say that uh, in order for India to be able to help with global issues, we need to focus domestically and inward. And by that, I mean that we have to grow our own economy. We need to have fast-paced economic growth of 7 to 8% per annum over an extended period of 20 or 25 years. And if we are able to do that successfully, then, of course, uh, India will be amongst the ranks of, uh, you know, the first few nations in the world. But our responsibilities will also increase along with that. Uh, I've answered your question at a very holistic and uh, broad level, uh, Deep. I hope, uh, you know, I hope that answers some of your questions. It does, sir. But but as we as we conclude, one last question. Then, you know, what do you see are the major obstacles as India attempts to achieve these goals? Uh, these foreign policy goals or uh, uh, in the in the next few years? I, I think the obstacles, uh, as Prime Minister Modi had put in his uh, in his UNGA speech, where he spoke about a regressive mindset, I think the obstacles are not a regressive mindset, but the obstacles are in not believing in ourselves, that is in India itself, in the uh, in our nation, etc. I, I hope that we, rather than having a negative outlook, that we can move ahead with a positive, proactive um, outlook uh, that it is possible for India, even within its open democratic system, to achieve the many objectives and goals that we have set for ourselves, not only in domestic economic policy and domestic policy, but also in international policy. Right. Ambassador Bambawala, thank you very much for talking with uh, Interpreting India today. Thank you, Deep. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. To make sure you don't miss it, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about our research and team, you can visit us at carnegieindia.org. You can also find us on social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you for listening and see you next time.